0: live from northern california it's lifeline with craig roberts he's the host of northern california's longest running conservative talk show he's a man with a message a conservative with compassion he's lifeline's own craig roberts
1: well and he's here to say good afternoon to you welcome it is a uh... Wednesday, isn't it? That's right. I had to think for a minute. Busy week. Busy week. Wednesday, 27th of September, in case, like myself, you're not keeping uh, too too careful track. And uh, we're here at the midway point of the week, and so much to talk about on the program. We're going to dive right in. By the way, quick program note coming up tomorrow in hour number one, we're going to meet a um, gentleman that's uh, had a ministry partnership with kfax radio since 1971 we'll get a chance to visit with pastor daniel moore from world missionary evangelism some exciting things that they're involved with and uh, if you're one of the folks that tends to be a bit of a night owl and stay up for the program at 11:45 p.m at night i'm probably not going to bring you any new news but uh, if that doesn't include you, you're going to about to meet a new friend, and we're going to get to that conversation on the program tomorrow night. Of course, we also have Church of the Week tomorrow evening at uh, 6 p.m. as the crow flies. And so lots going on, but let's get down to what's going on tonight, shall we? Uh, the month of September, as you might have perhaps uh, seen billboards, maybe the occasional television ad, things of that sort. The month of September is dedicated as national suicide prevention month and it impacts the topic of suicide more people than you might think maybe even yourself have had moments in life where you just feel so completely totally and utterly overwhelmed that you felt as if it perhaps might be better for you and everyone around you to just check out you just can't handle it and certainly if people maybe that has been a feeling that's crossed your mind more recently than this program tonight at least in the first few moments i think will will be a very critical help to you. Joining me is Becky Nordquist. Becky is a well-known speaker, songwriter, recording artist. Uh, We've talked about her or talked with her in the past about her book, Before We Said Hello, Finding Hope After Pregnancy and Infant Loss. But today, Becky joins us to talk about this other critical topic, and that is the issue of Suicide prevention. And and Becky, welcome to the program. I'll I'll start by confessing that, uh, at least in terms of my family, uh, no stranger to this, um, I had a second cousin who apparently reached a juncture in her life that she felt completely overwhelmed and for whatever reason, incapable of reaching out. And sadly, tragically, decided to take her own life and you know these days with so many forces of of evil and the influences of social media and all the stresses around us in modern life i would imagine that a lot of people contemplate this tell us a bit about your own story
2: well first i have to say i'm so sorry uh that you have experienced and endured that um my own story actually Uh, The first suicide ideation I had was at age 11. I had gone through uh, an exorbitant amount of childhood sexual abuse, and it was kept secret. Uh, It was very difficult growing up um, just in isolation in certain ways. And we know that isolation is one way that, first of all, the enemy works. But when you are severely depressed, um, it also Really uh, feeds suicide ideation and the thoughts. At a point in my early twenties, my dad had just passed away. Um, I had just a lot of going on, lot going on, trying to process through all of the abuse and um, that was throughout my upbringing. <clears throat> and I found myself just exhausted, tired. I had four kids, and. Life was completely overwhelming. I was continually having more flashbacks. And I found myself at a point where I just didn't want to go on anymore. And um, it wasn't the first time I'd felt that way. Like I said, my first thought of it was when I was 11 years old. Um, but this point, I was at a place where I was um, older. I had more formed ideas and plans. Um, And ultimately, I had a crisis in my faith. I really came to a point where I wondered if God even existed. And um, I was afraid to start crying because I thought if I started I wouldn't be able to stop. And I just hated everything about life, about me. I became very angry with God because uh, most of my abuse happened within the church. So Mm -hmm. it was very hard to understand. You know, how a good God would allow such horrible things. And so everything I loved about him was suddenly in question. Everything about my life that I'd ever known uh, was falling apart. And I'd lost a lot of dreams. And I really just completely lost all hope that anything would ever change or get better. And, of course, yeah. the
1: irony is one of the places where you normally, we would say, would be a, a shelter, a refuge to run to would be the church. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of removed from the list. And then I would imagine quite often there's the sense of also not only being overwhelmed and the, the feelings of depression that can be uh, extremely crippling, but also a, a sense of shame. I mean, uh, so often I would suspect that for many people that, that struggle with these thoughts, that if they felt mm-hmm. as if there was a safe place, where they could go or someone they could talk to just to be able to talk things out. But oftentimes that barrier of guilt and shame gets in the way, doesn't it?
2: Absolutely. and too often, you know, you go to the church well, it's your problem. You just need to snap out of this. You need to think better, do better. You need to have a stronger faith and you just, you know but people who really understand true clinical depression understand that it's not a matter of willing yourself out of it. Depression can be so heavy and so dark and coupled with anxiety that you physically cannot get out of bed and it's very hard to understand until you've experienced it but literally i had a morning where my arms and my legs felt like they were a thousand pounds each there was no way i could move and you know some of it certainly i believe god created us very connected so you know physically there's something going on mentally there's something going on But spiritually, there's also something going on. So running to the church is really tough because often it's neglected to acknowledge the fact that there's also a physical component that kind of gets overlooked. Often, they're not aware of that or they just don't bring that to light. They're more focused on the fact that you just don't have strong enough faith. And so you're ashamed because apparently your belief system isn't strong enough, but... Most often, that isn't the only place that's weak in you. There's many places that are weak and that you need. Um, the other thing I want to say is that it's impossible to reach out a lot of times. You know, you see things on social media. Oh, if you're feeling this way, reach out. But the truth is, is that in the depths, I couldn't reach out. So if I think it, it goes back to that we have to notice other people. We have to notice people every day and look for people or who might be going through things that would cause them to struggle, and
1: I think too, Becky, that, reach out. And I think to Peggy, part of the interruption. I think too the the, the 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 acknowledgement that there's not just emotional issues going on here, but there's often physiological issues too. So that people understand this is not just well, get a hold of yourself. You know, take take every thought captive. I mean, yes, those are certainly important principles, but it's only part of the story, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. I mean, typically, you know, it's not like one day you wake up and suddenly you just wanted over. There's been a battering of events and you can't breathe anymore. And, you know, <clears throat> I mean, we're talking last year alone, we had 49,449 people in the United States alone that committed suicide. That's a lot of people. I mean, one is too many, but that's a lot of people. And I I think, you know, especially because it's gone up since pandemic and stuff, we're dealing with a lot of things, not just emotionally from that, but also physically. And it's very important that one of the... Easiest things to do and first things to do is go get checked out. There are medications that can throw you off balance, you know. For women who are within the perimenopausal age and the menopausal age bracket, I'm telling you, hormone hormones are just—it's incredible what they control and how it can deeply affect your mental well-being. Um, and like I said, medications. There's a lot of medications and other chronic issues that affect your state of mind. Um, I mean, shoot, if you can go out for a brisk walk for 30 minutes and it can change your mindset... It tells us that we are very connected to our physical bodies. Well,
1: and not only that, but so often, you know, doctors will prescribe a medication and, you know, they're busy. It's a factory pushing the patients in and out. They don't always take the time to look at the counterindications of a given medication. So you come in with, you know, the hiccups and you get a prescription thinking, okay, la-di-da, here we go. Now you find out that depression is a side effect. uh, Things of this sort. And so there are times when it's not only Certainly, you know, the the crush of challenges and problems in life, and 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 feeling emotionally overwhelmed, spiritual issues that are going on, and and being under the the attack of the enemy, the, when you add to it the physiological aspect to it, that it might be something as innocent, innocent as your body having a negative reaction to some side effect of medication that uh, now all of a sudden is is taking control of your emotions and your feelings, and that's not that's not something that you can just switch off, is it?
2: no and there's and there's chronic illnesses too that can also play into a depressed state of mind and not kind of thinking correctly, right? I mean, you know, even... I used to work in the medical field years ago, and, you know, they joke about the full moon. But I'm not kidding you. It really does affect us. And especially if you have a propensity to be depressed. You can also watch the lunar cycles. That's why, you know, the old saying of Luna is, you know, lunatic. Luna, it has to do with the moon cycles. If if God created the moon... To control the tides or have effect on the tides, of course, it's going to affect us. And you can see that if you go into a hospital during a full moon phase, it is unbelievable the stuff that happens. So being aware of your body and understanding it physically is really important. And like you said, you know, it can be something as simple as you need to tweak another medication that you're on. It can. That's it, just the easiest thing to rule out first, in my opinion. And sometimes, you know, some people are like, I don't want to be on medication for the rest of my life. Well, the good news is that a lot of times you don't have to be. Sometimes you just need a little bit of the right thing so that you can deal with. With what's really going on for you yeah. and maybe that's emotional, maybe it's trauma that you haven't processed. I mean, for me, I had years and years and years of trauma that never got dealt with, so it compiled on top of one another. And then you know eventually your brain is created so incredibly to help you survive difficult things. It really is. and and if you don't take care of it, it it's almost like a brain injury, if you will. You know, we don't we don't look at mental illness or our mental health in the same way that we look at, like, say, heart health. You know, you wouldn't go into your church and expect if you had a heart attack for people within the church to come at you and be like, well, you just didn't have enough faith. That's why you had a heart attack and you shouldn't take medication if you've had a heart attack. You know, they wouldn't say that. That's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, there's there's so much misinformation that's out there and of course, you know, even the hesitancy sometimes to seek medical attention when, you know, medication may be just what you need to get you over the hump as you're processing through traumatic experiences. I mean, you know, we sometimes I think minimize that you go through an experience that leaves an indelible mark uh, not only on your mind but on your heart and think mm-hmm. think somehow we could just magically snap our fingers and it all goes away I mean that, that's the way the world is kind of you know designed right I mean it doesn't take 15 minutes to boil a pot of water it takes less than a minute because we use the microwave we, 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 are, we are programmed toward quick, rapid, easy solutions but unfortunately life in reality is not always like that I'm, I'm curious uh, Becky as our time winds down for somebody listening right now that says Becky I'm right there now where can they go for help
2: well, we have just released with music for the soul a a song called "Need You Now," and I will give the precursor that it is quite triggering if you have had suicide ideation because it was written right out of my own time and journals of that. Um, and there's devotionals that you can be sent. On a weekly basis to encourage you and just to have somebody that relates with you because I understand. And these are things that I've written um, out of my own journey, Uh, just most of all, because you need to know that you're not alone and that things will not remain the way that they are right at this moment. It may seem that way, but that's not the truth. It will change and it will get better. And there is hope and there is healing and there is a way out of the dark. And I, this devotional and the song, uh, it just means a lot to me because uh, it's my story. So, and they can find that at www.musicfortheSoul.org forward slash needdevo. That's www.musicforthesoul.org forward slash needdevo.
1: And I'll mention, too, for listeners eavesdropping on our conversation, if you're if you're struggling right now, be mindful that, you know, as, as the darker it gets, then comes the morning that. It's not always going to be like this. And there are resources available to help you. There is a national number that you can call. And as we're all familiar with 911, in the event of a uh, an emergency that requires police or fire, there's 988 a national number available. If you're struggling right now, you don't know where to turn, and you just feel as if it's as dark as it could be, and you don't see the promise of morning tomorrow, then I would urge you to reach out. And there are people on the other end of that line that understand, that care, and they can help guide the way. Again, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. It's easy. It's simply 988. Information regarding Becky's own journey, um, available, as we mentioned, on the web at Music for the Soul dot o-r-g our thanks to becky nordquist best-selling author of before we said hello finding hope after pregnancy and infant loss i'm craig roberts this is lifeline
3: And
0: now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Well, if you're like me, you get home after the end of a busy day, maybe settle down on a Friday evening with the family in front of the widescreen and decide that you have 65 or 165 channels of absolutely nothing to watch. It's either old repeats or films that, quite frankly, either completely and utterly fail to entertain or uh, fail to respect your own sense of family values. And that's why when films come along, that that break that out of that sort of Hollywood stereotypical mold where if it isn't a, a violent or blue language, it isn't worth viewing. Uh, we like to highlight those films and certainly recommend them to you. We had a chance uh, maybe about a month ago to visit with uh, the wife of my next guest uh, who's turned us on to an exciting new film uh, that coincidentally she and her husband star in. The new film is going to be opening at theaters in the San Francisco Bay Area area here toward the end of the month, uh, precisely October 29 and 30, playing um, the AMC New Park Mall and also at the Century Theater in Union Landing, and you can check online for theaters near you. It's a delight to have with us today the director, co-producer, and star of a new film about to be released, as we say, at the end of the month called Miracle in East Texas, and delighted to have with us Kevin Sorbo. Kevin, welcome. Good to have you back on. Good to be here. How's everything going? It's going well, and, and brother, i got to tell you, I just watched the trailer again in, in preparation for our visit. I hadn't seen it since, uh, since Sam was on with me here about a month or so ago. What a delightful film, and I'm curious, and we're not going to let too much of the cat out of the bag. Folks can certainly go to uh, your website, either kevinsorbo.net, or go to miracleineasttexas.com to view the trailer. But first and foremost, I'm curious, this film has a ring of of truth to it it's a true story where did you find this story well first of all it's it's
3: sorbostudios.com do not go to kevinsorbo.net that is now going to be totally taken away um it is sorbostudios.com and you got a, you got a very old site there. So i just want to make sure people are directed to the site that sam and i have together
1: great um, thank you i'll make the correction but, here and we'll remind yeah, listeners of that address in a moment
3: Perfect. Um, You know, it's a true story. It was set in 1930. And Dan Gordon was the writer who uh, wrote this story, did the uh, uh, full history, historical checkup on it. And Dan is an Oscar nominated writer. He wrote The Hurricane for Denzel Washington. He wrote Whiter, Kevin Costner. He wrote 60 episodes of Highway to Heaven for Michael Landon. He was the uh, show runner on that wonderful TV show. And uh, we've been friends with Dan for a long time. In fact, he did a rewrite on Sam's script on a movie that was out in theaters about four and a half years ago called Let There Be Light. That had about a four-month run in the theaters. And uh, this is just it's just a fun, fun story. And it's about these two con men, played by myself and John Ratzenberger, that went through Oklahoma and Texas right in 1930, the heart of the Depression, and they woo, would woo widows out of their money in fake oil wells. They get to Kilgore, Texas, they strike oil. Largest oil fund in the history of the world at that time. <laughs> and so it's in the title, Miracle East Texas, but I'm telling you right now, there's a lot more miracles that happen within the story and after that oil strike happens. And this is a completely true story. It's it's wonderful. It's fun. It's won 10 film festivals, everything from best romantic comedy to best faith-based film, the audience favorite, judge's favorite. Um, I love the fact that it can't really quite pigeonhole it because there certainly is an element of faith to it, but it's a movie that... Um, Anybody and everybody a all walks of life, could definitely watch and enjoy.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely got that impression. I, I, I'm a big fan of 20th century history, so when I see the opening scene and uh, the old Ford heading down the dusty road there and recognize that it was set in the early years of the Depression, early 1930s, it immediately caught my attention. But what's fun about it, Kevin, is not only, of course, are there the wonderful romantic aspects of the film and the historical aspects of it, there's the comedic side, and, and there's also that sense of value you that you, you walk away i mean I, I love a film that entertains and distracts but when a film also helps to support your values and your belief system and and can be something that can even be used as a teaching tool with young kids that both entertains and teaches boy that really that really hits all eight cylinders and certainly this new film miracle in east texas hits all eight cylinders
3: Well, you know, I'm attracted to stories like this, especially if they're true stories. And, uh, you know, we forged a wonderful relationship with Dan Gordon, the writer. We got three other films we're trying to raise money for right now. Um, you know, it's, and it's just been. Uh, to really go over the history itself because I went in and checked on some of these things Dan wrote and the pictures are in there what's amazing is John Ratzenberger's character, Dad Everett, looks like the real character back in 1930 and the, the movie, um, the music in the movie, 90% of it is from 1930 or earlier and the cars are all 1930 or, or earlier and we found one of only two trains that are still on tracks in North America today, we shot this movie up in Canada actually, that has a train from pre 1930 that still runs on track. So just the production value of alone is fantastic. And I got to throw in something here because we showed this movie to about 400 pastors in, um, in Dallas, Fort Worth area. And it is called Miracle in Texas. And a couple of guys afterwards during the Q and a couple of pastors said, I know exactly we shot that. <laughs> so it's like, cause we shot up in Canada. And if you look East in the location we were in Calgary, you could see downtown Calgary and the Rocky Mountains. If you look west, it looks like Canada. And I mean, looks like Texas. And I'll tell you right now, the ranch that we use, the three thousand acre working ranch, but this guy's built a lot of film, a lot of film sets. They shot Lonesome Dove there. They shot, um, they shot uh, Open Range there. Kevin Costner's Western, and they shot Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven. I'll tell you, if that that ranch is good enough for Unforgiven uh, for for Clint Eastwood. It's good enough for Kevin Sorbo.
1: <laughs> well, you certainly uh, pulled it off in terms of the sets, and and I'm curious the 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 chemistry between. You and John Ratzenberger, and of course, uh, longtime television viewers recall his roles on uh, Cheers. But it just it meshes so well between the two of you. His role is Dad Everett, and of course, yours is Doc Boyd. How did you select him for this role?
3: Well, John and I worked together in a movie back in 2010 called What If. Um, I've shot over 80 movies, and What If is in my top three most favorite movies I was ever ever shot. And the trouble with, here's the thing, a lot of people don't know about that movie, but What If it was written by the same writers that I did a movie a couple years later called God's Not Dead. Now, God's Not Dead was a massive hit. That $2 million movie made $140 million in, in theater, DVDs, everything else. This movie, What If, is a better movie, and the writers will even admit to that as well. But here's the problem with you know indie movies. I shoot movies around $3 million. It sounds like a lot of money. Well, they do avatars, they do you know uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Those are $300 million movies. $3 bucks to them is like the catering budget for these things. So we do movies that Hollywood used to make. You know, movies that make you laugh, think, um, relate to, have hope, faith, redemption, things like that. And Hollywood doesn't do that anymore, as you know. So um, for us to try to raise $3 bucks, it, it, it shocks me how hard it is to do that when we're doing movies that 80 million homes in this country want to see. But, you know, this is the battle we got going. But I'm going to keep making these movies because these are the kind of movies that made me want to be an actor in the First
1: place. Well, and, and certainly the viewing public appreciates that. And, and I, I share your sense of, of, of frustration or, or dismay, certainly, that Hollywood uh, no longer recognizes the value of these movies. And yet I hear from people all the time. And, I, and let me be clear for listeners. You know, we're not just talking about, well, of course, everybody at your church is going to say they'd like to watch a nice um, Bible based or morally based film. No, I'm talking about just the average people that, that I run into, you know. Uh, it, it, families that may or may not necessarily have a, a, a Christian bent to them or, or you know, be out looking specifically for something that underscores their values, per se, but nevertheless say, gee, I'm just so tired of what Hollywood is dishing up these days that it all seems to be nothing but blue language and, and, and lots of violence. And boy, if there isn't already enough of that in the real world, that we can't find a film that helps us escape, that's lighthearted, and that we don't have to worry about which of the kids is going to be asking kind of crazy questions after the film is over with. So it's 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 refreshing to know, Kevin, that you and your production company along with your wife, Sam, are willing to take the risk to continue to produce films like this because for people like me, it's really important.
3: Yeah, you know, I mean, I get stopped all the time. It used to be because of Hercules, my series back in the, in the 90s or Andromeda that I did from 2000, 2005. The sci-fi fans love it. But the reality is now... 80% stopped me in hotels, lobbies, and airports saying, we love what you're doing. Please keep making moving. Movies like God's Not Dead, Soul Surfer, What If, Let There Be Light. And, you know, it's amazing that uh, that is where the world's at right now. But I agree. You know, in the 1950s, Walt Disney said, movies and television will influence our youth. Now, he said this like 70 years ago. And he was right. And I think Walt right now is flipping in his grave looking at what Disney is doing to his name because Disney's well on the way to lose over a billion dollars this year with the woke movies that they're putting out. And that should be a clear sign to Hollywood that people are sick of it. And uh, they don't seem to want to be let up for whatever reason. So I don't know what the agenda is behind it all. Well, we can guess certainly, but it, it's weird to me that uh, this is where we're at now in, in the movie making process. But I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to keep doing the movies that, I, that I, hopefully people want to see. We just need word of mouth and hopefully your crowd out there will go to sorbostudios.com they can buy tickets right now because I, I gotta stress this is a Fathom event Fathom is very good in getting getting independent movies to theaters but we only get two days that's what they do if we sell these theaters out we'll get more time but it's a wonderful moody movie sorbostudios.com you can see the trailer you can buy the tickets now pay it forward tell the world about it we need all the help we can get
1: absolutely because again and I think the, the, the film going public needs to understand the amount of time and money and effort it gets to find these stories, bring them to film, get them produced, then get them into a studio is is outrageously expensive, as Kevin suggests, and and very time consuming. And when you're fortunate enough to find an independent distributor that's willing to make it happen, we need to show them that this is really what we want. And so again, the the premiere dates here in the San Francisco Bay Area will be October 29th and 30th. And a miracle in East Texas, you can get your tickets online, sorbostudios.com. That's sorbostudios.com. In fact, when you go in, you'll uh, you'll even see information about how to become a preferred subscriber. You can watch the trailer. If you watch the trailer, you're going to want to go see the movie. I guarantee it. Just take it from me. Watch the trailer at sorbostudios.com and then reserve your tickets and be there. Again, in theaters, October 29th and 30th around the Bay Area, AMC New Park Mall, Century Theater, Union Landing, and other theaters. You can check that out online to find a theater near you we want to support what kevin's doing and kevin again great work my friend we sure appreciate you uh, continuing to bring family friendly films like this to the big screen keep up the good work and uh, a big shout out to your wife sam
3: I appreciate that, and I have a new book out now. Please go to bravebooks.com, bravebooks.com. It's called The Test of Blindhood. It's a wonderful story about letting boys be boys to grow up to be strong men and strong fathers.
1: You know, I, I, I read a story about that book being released, and we're going to have to schedule time when we can get you back on for a bit more time and, and really dive Love into it. that because there's some insights that I think you can offer uh, that I think our listeners need to hear.
3: Sounds good for me. So All thank right. You so Take much. care.
1: Hey, great to visit with you again. There's Kevin Sorbo again. The new film Miracle in East Texas releases in theaters October 29th and 30th. And reserve your tickets now. Don't wait. Check it out online at SorboStudios.com. That's S-O-R-B-O, SorboStudios.com. There is director, producer, actor, Kevin Sorbo. All right. We're going to take a time out, get you updated on some things here, and then back with more as this Wednesday edition of Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: We had some discussion on the program yesterday about this um, supposed debate coming up between Governor Newsom and Governor DeSantis of Florida and uh, the notion that while he doth protest too much, that line from uh, Shakespeare, uh, <laughs> that he's not running for president or has no intention of, boy, it certainly feels like that. And yet if that be the case... You've got to wonder what's going on in Gavin Newsom's mind when he talks about or acts as if he's running for president of the United States and yet singularly does things that are barely even acceptable in California, let alone to the majority of the nation, and as we meet our next guest, I think you'll get some deeper understanding as to what I mean by that. Greg Byrd is the Director of Capital Engagement with the California Family Council. Greg, always a delight to have you with us, although sadly often, more often than not, we have to talk about um, very discouraging subject matter, and, and, and in a great sense, today is no different. Um, over the weekend, and uh, don't let anybody kid you, it happens over the weekend on Purpose because it's a slow need news day. People are paying attention to other things. The usual reporters are all off for the week, so it's just the weekend people. So it's it's easy to get away with controversial shenanigans, or in this case, sign controversial bills in the hopes that nobody will really notice. But we took notice. Uh, let's talk a bit about some of these egregious bills that California State Governor Gavin Newsom signed into law just this past. Saturday. The first one that I want to talk about of the group is AB 223 by Christopher Ward, authored by Christopher Ward of San Diego. This enables any petition for a change of gender or sex identification to be hidden under seal if filed by a person under the age of 18. Now, it seems to me, who, who would have a vested vested interest in knowing whether or not your son or daughter had decided to um, change legally change their sexual identification, uh, although I thought that's more of a physical thing than just on a piece of paper, but we'll play the game for a moment. It would seem to me that this is an, almost entirely exclusively designed to withhold information from a parent, would it not Considering the fact that this is targeted toward minors,
4: well, I, I still believe uh, the bill does. Re- the law already requires that to change your name officially on your documents, a minor can't do that without parental consent. But what? But this. So this bill is just simply about if a minor has changed his gender, no matter what age, uh, that information is going to be kept secret. So. You know, it's going to be really confusing, you know, if California ever gets around to mandate that only boys uh, or uh, only girls can participate in girl sports. Um, or we, you know, uh, if we get around to protecting uh, women prisoners from men, we're never going to know what sex a person is if uh, you, you never knew what their original sex actually was. I mean, you, you can't change your sex, but. If somebody changes it, it's going to be kept secret.
1: You know, there there's so much nefarious activities that could be a part of that. I, I it, it just it it simply just defies one's imagination and certainly logic. Um, no,
4: I, I think about think about a child, a young person growing up and trying to find a, a partner for life. Right? They want to start a family, yet. Nobody knows what sex a person has standing in front of you, right? It seems as though this whole idea of hiding someone's sex from other people—that's uh, going to destroy the ability to reproduce. Uh, how are we going to How are we going to produce a new generation if nobody knows what sex other people are? I mean, just think of that.
1: Well, let me let me take it even a step further, and I know some people will will think, well, you know, is a minor going to do this? But we pivot to AB 760 by Laurie Wilson of Fairfield, which uh, relates directly to the changing of name and gender on college documents that would allow or or, or require public colleges to enable students staff. Faculty to easily change their gender designation and name on any school records, any official school records. Now, you know, once again, I I, I hate to suggest that this has criminal intent behind it, but it certainly can be manipulated for criminal purposes. I mean, if somebody if somebody commits a crime and you know the FBI puts out a a wanted poster, what's uh, in the in the order of information about that person who's wanted? What do they usually do? First, they give you the name. The second line always in and without failure, is their gender. Doesn't something like this begin to open up the door where there could be criminal activity and an intentional attempt, you know, I know some people say, well, you know, they're, they're, they're struggling with gender dysphoria. Okay, we'll set that aside for the moment. But for everybody else that could easily manipulate these kinds of laws for purposes of hiding their true identity, I can see very problematic. In a day and an age when we used to be terrified Fight about terrorism, doesn't this also open up doors for, for activities that could be quite dangerous?
4: No, absolutely. I mean this this you know this all started like about five years ago when they allowed people on their driver's license to decide whether they were going to list uh, the male or female designation, irrespective of what their biology was. So anybody could next, if you look at your driver's license, lists all your physical descriptions, and when it gets to the sex they're letting people just put whatever they want. Right? And and well you're when you do that is you're letting people put false information on a government document. And government documents are supposed to be accurate representations of reality. And so once you once you start letting people pick their own reality, why can't they change anything else? The weight, the height, the sex, the you know people are already picking their own race or even we're gonna get to the point where people you know, are, are picking whether they're a, a, a human or an animal or some inanimate object. I mean, that's how far this goes.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it, it. It. Not. Not to exaggerate here, but on the grander scale, uh, this sets up the stage to to literally topple everything of organized polite society and you know people say well do we have to be polite do we have to be organized well if there's not if there's not a societal contract that we have with each other and you know it goes from everything from common courtesy to hopefully not speeding 95 miles an hour in a school zone because you want to respect the law because you recognize the law is there for not only for your own safety but the safety of others so we have a a social contract with each other but it seems as if all of that is devolved into just this tremendous sense of just, I do whatever I do, no matter what the consequences, no matter who might be hurt by it, no matter how nefarious or how deceptive all of it might be. And and, and my fear is, while I don't see a plague necessarily, and I'm still... To a great degree, puzzled by the, the level of attention on the gender dysphoria topic alone, um, I, I've, I've just got to think that this is going to open up the doors for even further degrading of our of our society and our social contract with each other.
4: No, no, you're right. I don't. I don't know if there's ever been a society who's just blown apart the concept of gender, right? That has given up on the binary nature of what a human being is. And just erasing it. Is is there, do we have precedent in history that uh, we can see what happened? I don't know if we do. This is uncharted territory.
1: Yeah, I was thinking the other day, I forget who it was that I was talking to, we were talking about the disintegration of uh, great cultures and societies uh, in, in history, and the Roman Empire came up, and I immediately thought about the behavior of Caligula. <laughs> and, and, you know, it seems as if we don't list, learn from the lessons of the past, and then we're, we're, we're just inclined to uh, to repeat them. There's another aspect here that I want to touch on that, again, just seems to pound away at small businesses. And let's face it, in recent years, California has proven that it is a state extremely hostile towards not just small business, but business of any sort between the overregulation and the taxes and uh, the laws and rules that seemingly change every time you turn around. Here's AB 783, written by Assembly Member or proposed by Assembly Member Philip Ting of San Francisco, um, that requires city counties, and um, those that are issuing business licenses to notify the applicant of the business license in writing of a requirement, and I I love the short-sighted stupidity here, of the requirement that single-user toilet facilities must be labeled or identified as all-gender toilet facilities. Now, if you go into a business and there is a single toilet, and you don't see one marked women and one marked men, there's just one room, doesn't it already suggest that it's available to all genders given the fact that there's only one? Why do we have to create more paperwork more legal red tape, more notification, and undoubtedly fines for failure to do so to make it even more hostile for small businesses who are already under the crush of post-COVID environment and, and, and you know challenges in, in finding and keeping employees and paying taxes, et cetera, et cetera. Now we've got to add one more layer of bureaucracy.
4: No, this, this is all about a slow process of erasing gender altogether. Um, you know, right now, you know, this bill is kind of a, a notice to make sure businesses know they, that all their single-stall bathrooms have to be all-gender bathrooms. And you see this in, you know, where you used to go in Starbucks, they had two single-stall bathrooms, one for males, one for females. So and now they have to say all-gender. But, you know, they're, they're moving towards that even the multi-stall bathrooms are going to be all-gender. And if you look down... Uh, on my list here, uh, a bill uh, by uh, Senator Josh Newman. Uh, he is now requiring all gender bathrooms to be to be on every school campus. Right now, it, it, and the bill doesn't designate whether the, the all gender bathroom has to be single stall. That means if the school doesn't have a single stall bathroom, they only have multi stall bathrooms, they get to convert one of those into a mo- all gender bathroom. Meaning. You're going to have boys and girls in the same space, right, which is not going to be a a great place. Uh, It's already unsafe on school campuses to go in the bathroom. That's where teachers don't go. What do you think is going to happen when you got boys going into girls' bathrooms? You don't even have to pretend to be transgender. You're just sticking males right in there with the females.
1: Yeah, it, it it really just shows short-sightedness. And, you know, I have nothing against men, I have nothing against women, uh, but newsflash none of us would be here if it wasn't for men and women. (laughs) It's pretty basic logic, but it seems as if uh, certainly those in Sacramento repeatedly defy logic. One other bill that I want to have you speak to, uh, this was authored by Senator Josh Newman of Fullerton, Senate Bill 760. Uh, And this goes back you know, part and parcel to our discussion about the, the single bathroom now requiring a sign that says it's for everybody. Now on K through 12 public school campuses, they want to create at least one gender neutral bathroom. Um, the school districts will be allowed independently to determine whether or not they would be single stall or multi stall. But I would imagine creating a multi stall all gender bathroom really opens themselves up for a potential lawsuit because at the end of the day greg what what what's to prevent some smart alecky 16 years old with hormones raging who who sees a girl go in and decides this is my chance you know under the old days, the minute you step, the minute you put your, your hand on the door, somebody would be screaming. Today, now, that's accepted uh, behavior. And I'm just wondering, how long are we going to continue to pass these kinds of foolish members before somebody ends up getting raped or molested or abused? And then we suddenly wake up and say, oh, maybe it wasn't such a good idea after all.
4: Well, I, I maybe that's what people are uh, waiting for. I mean, I think we've gotten so passive. Um, that if this is tied in any way to the LGBTQ and, you know, we need to be more accepting and loving, and then you say, well, this is going to help them feel more accepting and loving. No one wants to oppose it, right? No one wants to, parents I- accept this. Why would, why would you accept, uh, to send your kid to a school, uh, your child, your, your fe- female child, your young girl into a bathroom with men? I mean, it's just, It's ridiculous. I mean, they they have already done this at the state capitol. If you go to the state capitol, where kids are touring through there all the time, you know, uh, for uh, tours, they change one of the female bathrooms into an all-gender bathroom. And I used to stand and just watch the chaos that would ensume when all the boys started piling into the same bathroom with the girls. It was chaos. (laughs) The girls would be screaming. The boys would be laughing. It it was so ridiculous. And and yet... uh, you know, this is the legislators defend this
1: like we just need to get used to this. Yeah. And that's very sad, because, again, it, it, there's so much of this doesn't seem to be a, a solution in search of a problem, but rather an agenda that's being promoted and forced upon us. And, you know, I. I I I keep warning people that uh, this is going to blow up one day and and not in a good way. And and yet, instead of recognizing the warning signs or or backing down, Sacramento continues to push and push and push. And the governor, as I mentioned at the opening uh, statements, uh, my opening comments, uh, you know, Pretends as if he's not running for president, but anybody that looks close enough probably concludes otherwise and yet wants to continue to push the most radical policy policies, guaranteeing that three quarters of the country are never going to embrace this madness. And I'm not convinced California is embracing this magnet, embracing this madness. But, uh, you know, here we are. Nevertheless, more information on any of these items, you can check it out on the California family website. California Family Council, the californiafamily.org. That's californiafamily.org. Our thanks to Greg Burt, Director of Capital Engagement for the California Family Council. Just never ceases to amaze me. Six o'clock from KFAX.